Hey there, earbuds. I know I normally... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Don't talk about this, but I don't want to hinder your listening experience. So I just want to let you know that we were experiencing some audio issues. So don't let that interfere with Tara's amazing, amazing interview with me. I'm talking about DMT, sexuality, redefining your sexuality, and so much more. Enjoy the orgasm. Warning, the following program is not for the weak-hearted. Those who are closed-minded... In general, you're scared to learn what's behind closed doors. Here at Sapphire's Airplay, I want you to pour the wine. Grab somebody that you want to hold on to, or better yet, get the vibrations stimulated through your body. Get ready for one hell of an orgasm in five, four, three, two, one. What is up all you sexy motherfuckers out there in Radio Land? It's your girl Sapphire with another Earplay special and I am so thrilled to have my guest of honor today. Her name is Tara Galliano. And I am so excited because we're talking about something different here on Earplay. Psychedelics, if you will, DMT and orgasms. And what do these two have in common? What is the two mutual beautiful relationship between them? So Tara, I am so excited to have you. You're a licensed sex therapist. You've worked with women, couples for over two decades, which is crazy to me because I feel like in the past decade alone, sexuality and just the fluidity and the studies have just been more prominent than ever. And maybe you can agree or disagree with me on this. She is also the author of Rediscovering My Body, which teaches us to show up for our pleasure. Something that I truly believe in as far as like sexual healing and getting to know yourself through the power of orgasms and just sexuality in general. If we cannot know ourselves, how can we give ourselves to others and our partners? So without further ado, Tara, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Yes, thank you so much, Sapphire. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. Oh my goodness. So much, so much to discuss. First of all, Rediscovering My Body, um, this book, this journal, if you will, I love how it is like a self-guidance, if you will. And I'm going to add it into my own practice because lately I've been very, very open about mental health and wellness, especially during the times of COVID and what brought me back to therapy itself. But I have been really taking lessons from my own body and intuitions and rediscovering my own body sexually and trying to get more comfortable in my skin. And I love how your journal, this book, has really helped women, it seems like, to kind of get in touch with that, the questions that you ask. And just, I love how it's just very in tune. It's something that everybody needs to put to their practices. What made you, you know, write this? Like what just said, you know what? It's time that I give out some self some self tips on how to relove yourself and again rediscovering your body. Yeah, thank and thank you. I really appreciate you diving into that book. And the reason why I wrote that book is because I was working with women who'd had cancer, and these women, these amazing, courageous Amazonian women, really were coming to terms with their own mortality and they were struggling with this diagnosis of cancer and feeling seen and objectified by the medical community, that they were just scientific experiments. They weren't feeling like they were in touch with their sexual selves. And so what I did was I began to teach this course called Rediscovering My Body, where women could really tap into a sense of themselves, their body image, their intimacy, their pleasure, and then I decided to write this book for all women because every woman that I talked to about this class were like, hey, I want some of that. I want to know more about that. I want to do that too. And so then it just made sense to create this invitation and really work on this book um, to make sure that it was available to all women. I love that. And it, it's good that you make this point about you know women rediscovering because I feel that as women, you know, 
whether we are assigned at birth as a woman or we are rediscovering ourselves later on and saying my true identity is a woman we are so taught that our bodies are not our own you know and so i love that you are giving women this power to be like no this is my body this is a journal for me to kind of come back reflect on the sex that I'm having that was one of the chapters that you had you know talking about how do you feel sexually today and what may you change later on and telling us to take a deep breath getting in touch with ourselves I think that is just something genuinely that we're missing in our our own sexuality in our own practices so thank you for just giving that space to women to rediscover and speaking about rediscovering i feel like lately in the past probably five almost 10 years now people are now rediscovering their sexual beings and health through holistic health with the help of psychedelics now here's something interesting about myself until recently i never really took psychedelics you know I've had my wild hoe faces <laughs> and experimented with cocaine in college and in sex with that. And it's a mess. I do not, of course, advocate, you know, sex and cocaine. And I also never really consent and condone sex when you're inebriated. Like, yes, I like to be high and smoke a little weed or, you know, intake um marijuana products during sex but anything harder than that I kind of feel like there's a level of consent that's just never really met but now I feel like with the new studies of psychedelics in particular DMT I've been hearing this conversation a lot so when you reached out to me with your team saying that you wanted to talk about the connections with DMT and orgasms I'm like holy shit this has never been talked about on earplay let's get into it so Going into DMT, what exactly, for the average listener listening right now, what exactly is DMT and what is the connection with orgasms? Yeah, so DMT is a substance that is actually released within our own brain. And so there is endogenous DMT, which means that the body makes it. And that DMT, I would say, cultivates this experience of euphoria and that there's this oneness. Um, And with that experience, oftentimes there's a sense of of God or I would say a a spiritual connection. Mm -hmm. And so then combining that with sexuality is a really potent experience. However, my, yeah, my way that I'm learning this, that I'm teaching this, and I just wanna give a shout out to my teacher uh, specifically, Jenny Martin, who is bringing this to the forefront because she is a researcher and a scientist. And that's really an important access point for a lot of people is that there's scientific studies validating this practice, this experience, and also that there's been research in terms of what DMT does to the body, how we experience it, and that it is endogenous. And because it's endogenous, it means that we can access it pretty much at any time at any place as long as we are willing to. So there really needs to be some some permission within ourselves and that there is an opportunity to have this psychedelic orgasm without the use of substances externally, without taking a pill, without smoking, without ingesting DMT at all because it is already within our body. That is amazing. So what is it about the body that kind of releases this? Like, is there a certain position? Because I feel that, you know, when we're talking about orgasms in particular and talking about sexual pleasure, I feel that the things that are being released, we always hear like, it has to be in a certain position. You gotta be relaxed. You gotta let things go. Just like when they're talking about squirting, for instance, it's like, you gotta lay on your back. You gotta relax the muscles. And it's like, no, no, that just makes me more scared to, you know, want to release and have that type of orgasm. So what is it about the DMT side that is being, you know, released into the body? Because when I'm, when I was doing my research about it this week, you know, I was finding out about, you know, the true evidence or the pure bliss that comes with this release of DMT and talking about how, you know, of course, our cervix, 
being the spongy patch that it is, um, being three to six inches away from the vagina is where the power of DMT is really released. But what does that say for women who may experience cervical pain when they are orgasming with cervical orgasms? Because until recently, I didn't even know that there was a real difference between a vaginal orgasm versus a cervical orgasm. And, and I'd say that's probably true for a lot of us as women, is that as we become more curious and give ourselves more permission to explore, um, I mean, and, and just coming back to my book, that's why I wrote the book, because I, I like, I'm, I'm a researcher, I'm curious, and I'm imaginative, and I want to know more, but I don't want to dictate to others what is true for them. And this opportunity to explore cervical, vaginal orgasms, yes. And do I know that to be true? Yes. So I can speak about my experience and mm. point to what it is that I've seen, what it is to have, ex- what I, what did I, what I have experienced, and what I've taught other women. But I don't. I feel like it's really important not to dictate. Like this is the path, and this is the way it is, because. That is the way that sex has been portrayed for so many thousands of years for so many of us is that it's this linear progression that it's penile vaginal intercourse. And we just know that that's not true anymore is that there's so many more vast ways to connect as a human being with another human being if we choose, but also as ourselves that particularly for those of us who identify as women, that we have this amazing power within ourselves that actually creates life Mm. and it's not just that we get to create life but we get to create so much because we're that powerful and that the opportunity to experience pleasure i mean it's inherent in the experience of having a clitoris I mean, so many people have said now that there's 8,000 nerve endings and the only purpose is for pleasure um, and so I just want to highlight that pleasure is so important to our well-being and that we oftentimes see it as superfluous or a luxury, and it actually is essential. And so they've done research with women who've had cancer actually tapping into their life force energy by having orgasms more regularly and seeing the healing potential that is inherent within that and i just think that that's really powerful for all of us to know and that in 2003 there was a study done for people who are wanting to lose weight and they took out a part of their brain so they could lose weight but what actually happened as well was that people lost their sense of pleasure wow and with that 20 percent of those participants unfortunately became suicidal because again, it releases that oxytocin. So when you don't have that oxytocin, oh my goodness. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that, that we are meant to have experiences of pleasure on a regular, ongoing basis. That there is an innocence and a naturalness to that. Um, and so when we get into the, you know, kind of the fine-tuned cervical or- orgasm, vaginal orgasm, it's like, yes, and but the opportunity is to experience each of those or all of those and release the shame that has been so oppressive to so many of us on so many levels. Uh, I mean, just race, class, sex, religion. I mean, so many ways we have been oppressed and that it lies within our physiology. There are physical overlays of shame within our body that actually need to be released. Now, on the subject of of race and sexuality, I do feel that in my experience that more Black and Latinx identifying women are the ones that are more open to talk about and go into the rituals of like holistic health when it comes to sexuality. And it seems like my white, you know, counterparts, no offense. It's like they, it's becoming now a later thing. Like now they're, they're starting to take our lessons, but it's like, we have been saying this for centuries, for centuries, for decades in talking about holistic health and in getting in tune with 
your chakras and getting in tune with your body. So again, that connection that's being made as far as like the dialogue of sex and sexuality and owning your sexuality. How do you talk about that with your practices with other clients that may feel that same shame or, you know, have that disadvantage that they weren't taught until they came to you? I mean, I think that it's important that it's validated, right? That is a, a, a real experience. And that oftentimes what I find is that women who are identifying as women of color are more embodied. There's a sense of being in their body in a different way than I would say my white sisters. And I think part of that is because, goodness, it's, we live in a Cartesian society. I think, therefore I am and that there's this validation that happens that we live from the shoulders up. And so if we can think it, then it must be. And that is very powerful and not to dismiss that because we all live in so many different thought forms, belief systems and, and concepts. Mm -hmm. And also being in the body and the ways that we perceive through the body is fundamentally powerful and inherent for us particularly as women. And I think that whether we're conscious of, of it or, or not, if we have a lineage that we can identify and we feel to be true, that we are connected to our ancestors, healed and whole, that they are actually supporting us. I, I'm adopted. I was raised by a family who identifies as white. I'm, I'm not of my people per se, but I feel my Colombian ancestry every moment. I feel the lineage of my curanderas and it's not just an imagination, but I feel them that they have strategically supported me so I can show up here in this land at this time in a woman's body to talk about sacred sexuality because that is the truth of their experience and that is a wisdom that they've shared with me. And I know, I know. And was I raised sex positive? No. Wow. Well, yeah. So what at one point and again, we're, I love that we're having this conversation and it is bringing it all back to the subject matter of psychedelics and, and all that, because, again, we have to tap in to the beginning in order to get to where we're at in our sexual experience. We do have to tap into our lineage. We have to tap into the beginnings. So at what point for you did you say, OK, this is an awakening moment that everything that I've been taught I have to unlearn. At what point did you say, I want to explore this more. I'm taking my body back and I'm taking my control back and I want to freely express myself sexually to educate the masses. At what was your turning point? I mean, and I wish I could say that it was one moment in time, but like that everybody else is kind of not. It's just an evolution <laughs> of... Yes. Okay. Absolutely. This layers off. This layers off. And I was raised Catholic. And for me, the Catholic religion offered this immense, vast power, which was very intoxicating. And also the depth of ritual that mesmerized me. And I have a deep love for Jesus and Mother Mary. And I know that their wisdom may not have been the truth of what the Catholic Church presents. Mm hmm. And, mm -hmm. and some something was usurped there. And yet I followed it, loved it until I was 13 and challenged a priest of like, what is going on here? We're not talking about sex, not, not same sex couples. Like what, do you, what happens when a person gets pregnant and, and then they still want to be a part of the church. So there were a lot of conversations that my priests weren't um, happy with. And so then I went elsewhere to seek on my journey. And that's the pieces that I've just been seeking again and again. And I've been married one time, the first time for 25 years. And uh, my former husband would say that he was a sex addict and I'm a sex therapist. And so recognizing the, the suppression and the layers of ignorance that I chose to live in because I didn't know the truth. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of accepting of norms and of ways of being in the world where actually didn't support me in terms of heterosexual marriage, in terms of male-female relations, in terms of being a, a woman of color and being married to a white man. I mean, just on and on and on and on the layers. 
And that was really my true education. And then once that marriage was dissolved, that everything not came to light instantaneously, but the pathway began to open for me. And with that openness, I released myself from whatever vow that I imagined that I needed to be under, which was kind of a spell that I did not need to accept that anymore because I have sovereignty of my own being. And in order to be fully responsible for everything that I create, I need to be responsible for everything I have created. Just... I'm in awe. I'm in awe because everything you just said kind of relates to me in a sense. I, too, was raised Catholic. And, you know, I've definitely discussed my own Catholic guilt growing up in questioning my faith and my belief. Like now I feel like I take a little bit of spirituality from each and every religion that I've ever listened and, and read up on to. And I definitely feel like it has brought me closer into a spiritual sense into my own sexuality because the body is a church. The body is a temple. So when you're in tune oh. with all those things that you learn from Catholicism, Buddhism, Judaism, it's amazing what it can do to your sex life and making it a more... I don't want to say sacrificial, but it is definitely a ritual. Sex is a ritual moment. It releases so much. Depending upon, you know, how many people are involved, it's a very, very spiritual journey. And I think, you know, even bringing it back to the use of psychedelics in the bedroom, like I did a poll earlier this week asking people, have they taken psychedelics, you know, in the bedroom? And it was a draw, 50%. You know, it was a 50% draw between people saying, no, I don't use anything in the bedroom versus those who have gone down the rabbit hole. And so when I was asking people, they said, you know, it was more of a, a spiritualistic being closer to their partner. They felt closer using, you know, DMT, shrooming, if you will. And then adding on to their pleasure in orgasms. Now, maybe you can debunk this. Would you say that because the body releases DMT and then you put synthetic DMT, if you will, into your body, does that necessarily heighten or does it kind of, you know, suppress an orgasm or does it just depend upon the body itself? I would say that I don't have enough um, research or experience to say anything other than it depends on the body itself. Mm -hmm. What I do know about psychedelics is that they point the way for what is a truth or reality is that we absolutely can experience those high levels of oneness with God within our being. And I think DMT is an excellent example that when we partake in these sacraments, if you will, that there is an opportunity to expand beyond our consciousness, our limited everyday mundane experience. And also what I would say, we have the opportunity to experience that without those as well. I mean, just, uh, you know, the, the practitioners of Tantra, the, um, the Buddhist monks, Um, that can levitate. I mean, it just really, there are transcendent practitioners of all denominations that have experienced this rapture and oneness of spirit. And that that also can happen through the sexual act with Mm -hmm. oneself or with another, and that it is a powerful experience and that it is not Uh, predicated on taking or ingesting a a psychedelic, but it is a way forward because so many of us are so uh, constricted and, and again, so much in our head that there is an opportunity there that probably is more needed now than ever before. Wow. Now, when people talk about their experience with a cervical orgasm, with the release of DMT. Um, Some women have said that it's been a full body experience of elation and bliss. Others have said it is just deeply relaxing. It's melting, pulsating, that they become one with their partner, if not themselves. Um, Spiritually spiritually profound. Again, 
all these things, it does sound like it's this magical drug. And then I was also reading that the release of DMT can help those with PTSD. How does that interact? Like, how is how is that even possible, especially for someone who may have PTSD through sex? So how does that the natural release of DMT in the body help, you know, people overcome PTSD, especially for those who kind of are scared to explore their bodies. Like what, what is that connection? I love that. I think that's, those are great questions. And certainly I've not done the research and what I can begin to sense is that there is this opportunity for neuroplasticity that can happen so the millionation of the brain can change when we have these euphoric experiences and is it right for everybody no Mm -hmm. and does the person need to feel into their own sense of agency that this is something that might work for them yes because if they don't then it can just be a setup for another violation of something that absolutely doesn't work for them again and that is re-traumatizing and that is antithetical, I would say, to treatment. So don't do what doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. The opportunity is to step into something that may feel a little bit more expansive, a little bit more exciting, and maybe a little bit more nerve wracking. Um, But the opportunity is to step into that and be okay and know that you're going to be safe. And these are two elements that are talked about all the time in psychedelic work is set and setting. And that is the big difference. And so even referencing maybe the past where you might have been engaged with recreational drug use while you're engaged with sexual activity, like, yay, and that was fun. And it was more party. And that's fine, right? Mm -hmm. We've all had those experiences to some extent or not. And that's fine, too. (laughs) (laughs) That is that's a valid reason. Yes. I'm glad you put that disclaimer. (laughs) And then the opportunity is to really begin to figure out set and setting and hold the space because that is the big piece of who is holding the space. How is the container being set? And just coming back to the sense of Catholicism, it's like if you go to a church in Europe where hundreds of people have prayed for hundreds of years, it's whatever ideology you subscribe to, you can feel that. Mm-hmm. I, I would suggest that most people can feel there's a sense of reverence there. There's a sense of worship there. That, it, And it doesn't need to necessarily be that church, but it could be a, a sacred space. And that is because of the container that has been set there and that we have the opportunity to set that as well for ourselves. So when we're going into these sexual experiences and we want to have this heightened level that we begin to consider the set and the setting. And oftentimes people aren't considering that. And I used to work at the University of Colorado at Boulder. And what I would say is that a lot of the people I was working with were interested in random hookups um, and that yeah, they didn't even know the person. They didn't know their last name. They didn't, maybe they knew their first name. And, and again, that there's nothing wrong with that. However, there was oftentimes this expectation that they have a relationship after that. And I thought that was kind of interesting when it really was just a sexual experience. It's not necessarily relationship material. And then what kind of conversations did you have around safe sex and consent? And can you be fully conscious and own that that is important because you are a value and, and then have an experience that is sexual or that is pleasurable or that is absolutely orgasmic and divine. And, and most of those young people just didn't have the maturity level and they certainly didn't have the skill mm-hmm. and they didn't have the capacity to have those conversations. And now because the world is changing, we are learning how to claim our pleasure and to speak it. Because if we don't have words for it, then it makes it really difficult to communicate it and to own it. It's interesting that you have that observation because, again, hookup culture especially has become a uh, resurgence as well because, you know, people are coming out of, you know, quarantine and all that. Hookup culture is coming back. You know, the dating apps are seeing a surge. There's different conversations that we're seeing now surrounding sex because now we're not just 
asking people, have you been tested for the common STDs and STIs, but now we're seeing more people having open conversations about HIV, more conversations that are talking about herpes. And of course, now even talking about, have you been vaccinated? But it is also very interesting that people will even say, sometimes digging into those types of just very standard questions is still too evasive or that it's still asking for too much. So then when you're having a deep, meaningful connection in sex or that person gave you that deep, meaningful orgasm, people are questioning like, am I falling in love with this person? Or is it just I'm experiencing a hell of an orgasm that I've just never been able to achieve with another partner, let alone myself? So it also makes you wonder like, Okay, does this DMT, is it the love drug, if you will? I was seeing that comparison and I'm like, huh, this is very interesting. And why are we not talking about it more? Why are there not enough studies surrounding orgasms in general? Because the more I keep looking and deeping, you know, going into the depth of it, in my research, you know, I've only been able to pinpoint maybe three or four scientists and doctors through their research. One in particular, I'm going to butcher his last name, but we'll go with it. But Dr. Barry, um, I want to say Kamasarak, had found a soul pathway to orgasm within the cervix. And he said that his subjects could experience orgasms and pleasure through the vaginous nerve. And that the discovery proves that the cervix is its very own pathway to orgasm and pleasure, independent of our other pleasure capabilities, which to me, mind fucking blown. Because again, when we talk about orgasms, we don't talk about the cervix. The cervix, we only talk about with labor, labor and delivery. We don't talk about it with the pleasure of sex. So it makes you wonder, why are we not having that conversation about the entire existence of a vagina and the entire basis of what defines an orgasm to the vagina? Mind baffled. Yeah, I mean, I would speculate that that comes back to how it is that we're framing these conversations around consent and really how we frame sexual education. If we receive sexual education, we're getting this information about reproductive health and don't get pregnant, right? Abstinence culture. And then if we get a little bit more, then it's like, okay, don't get any STIs. And then how do you have that conversation? Use a condom, mm. right? This information focused on pleasure is absent from our conversation. So we're not even sure how to speak about, well, well, that really turns me on. Or I really like when you do that. Or more of that, please. Or what I really like is this. Or to get me really off this. And we don't know how to frame that. And so it makes sense that really the larger systems that are in place, like the medical, the allopathic med medical system, are not studying pleasure either. And if they are, they're not studying it from a female perspective mm. because we have not been valued. We have not been honored in the recent centuries as the powerful being that we are. And so that shift of claiming pleasure is a powerful shift from the conversations that we have in these dyadic or experience, triadic experience with another person to experience pleasure, not just about consent of what are you bringing to the table that I need to be concerned about, but what are you bringing to the table that I can actually be pleased about? That what are, what are your experiences? What are your skills? What are your desires? What can, how do we juice this up? Right. Those conversations aren't necessarily happening and it's not happening in the larger scientific medical community where they're looking at. And what is this about pleasure that can actually make us feel so much better in our world? Because we probably could transform the experience of people who are experiencing PTSD if there were more pleasure. And for example, in cultures where the goddess were, was revered, there were temples. In these temples, women were trained to bring forth sexual energy through their own vehicle, through their own body, and administer to others, but particularly to warriors who were coming back from war, mm -hmm. 
this healing love, sexual erotic love, and that there was great pleasure and healing in that power. And that this woman, this priestess, this goddess was trained from a young age to be able to do that with her sisters. And there's temples all over the world that have been dedicated uh, previously to these women. And, and that, that was part of the culture's past in, you know, in countries in Africa, in countries in Europe, in countries in what is now South America, all over the world. As I'm like thinking about this, it just makes you wonder, again, we are taking all these sex practices from other cultures that are, again, POC based. I didn't hear any Eastern European. I didn't hear, you know, Anglo-Saxon culture in all of this. And again, it makes you wonder, is the war on sex technically the war on people of color? Is everything that we have been fighting for, especially now, today there's a women's march Today is Saturday for us. Of course, the earbuds, you guys are getting this tomorrow on Sunday. But we are still battling the war on our vaginas and whether or not an abortion should be legal. If the things that we are putting into our body to, you know, enable us to have an abortion, is that supposed to be illegal? It makes me wonder now when you're saying all this, is the war on sex just because of the fact that because white men and women did not discover this? Well, I don't know. And I also know that this was a part of uh, Celtic society as well Mm -hmm. with the Druids who were very peaceful people who were decimated by the Catholics as well. Mm -hmm. Um, that, That there is some history of this, lineage of this in the Gnostics Uh, of the Catholic Church. So when um, Jesus and Mary, when Jesus rose again, uh, this is a story of which I believe, and then traveled from Middle East to France, Southern France, they set up again the temples. And she taught, Mary Magdalene taught the sacred sexuality, the heroes gamos. Mm -hmm. And so there is that lineage. And I, I would say, yes, there are systems of, of oppression at play that, goodness, put us at, at, at each other's um, enemy. I mean, yeah. really, that's what I see. It's a huge it, disadvantage. It's, it's a huge disadvantage. Yes. Because, again, it's all connected. The body, the human body is all connected. So when we are you know, limiting the knowledge of our own bodies, it really does a number on us. So not to like come from a racist point of view, because that is not my intention. It's just everything that we've been talking about. It all comes down to the fact that there is such a limited, a limited space. There's such a limited um, allowance of learning our bodies and that, you know, people like yourself and like others, who have come before you, you know, we are all just trying to reclaim and rediscover. So when we're hearing about these things that are so limiting to our bodies and why can't we learn more about our own pleasure or why are there such limiting studies to it? It just makes you wonder the true history of where it all comes down to, because again, it's all connected. Oh, and it's a rabbit hole. <laughs> it is. It absolutely, talking about bringing it all back to the subject matter. It is one big rabbit hole. It really is. So in your experience with DMT and orgasms and something that you talk about in your practices, what do you tell your clients as far as like when they're trying to unlock the, the secret, if you will, in your own practice? Like what made you at one point say, you know what? I want to discover this more. Like, was it an experience of your own? Was it just something that, you know, in your practice you were learning? Where did it all come down to? Because again, you, in fact, you were like, let's talk about this more. Yes. Well, I mean, a few things that I see again and again is I see this pervasive shame that lies in the body 
particularly of the women that I'm seeing. And I see a lot of heterosexual couples. And in these partnerships, the woman is struggling with some form of shame. And because of that, she's also not exploring her own sense of pleasure. Mm -hmm. And when she doesn't know her own pleasure, then she really can't share pleasure with her partner, regardless of who her partner is, because she doesn't know it for herself. And that there's a vast knowledge that a woman can unlock when she knows her own pleasure. And that the opportunity is not only for her to know it and to own it, but actually begin to lead her partner into that experience. So when women and men are coming to me and they want better sex, or they want to be able to connect sexually, it's often the woman who needs to lead, which is somewhat crazy in our culture because often, oftentimes we're seeing the man is more sexual uh, and that he needs to initiate. And it, it, yeah, and that those things pervade and are pervasive in our thoughts, in our bodies, in our beings. And so it's really unlearning the miseducation, disrupting the myths and really providing some good education. And it begins with the woman really owning her own pleasure and recognizing that nobody's responsible for her orgasm but her Oof. and that she gets to claim that <laughs> gotta give the applause on that one <laughs> she can't hear it y'all but the applause in the studio is real but seriously oh my god I, I tell people this all the time it's like you know, whether you're having partner sex or solo sex, until you can pinpoint what you want, you cannot say to your partner what you want. You might like what the partner does, but if you can't rediscover that and reclaim that in the bedroom in your own practice, is your orgasm your own? No, that is your partner's orgasm. That is your partner giving themselves to you a pleasurable experience. But what do you claim as your own? So I love that you're able to really tap that in. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that. Because again, when we hear about it, I'm sure like you said in your practices, you've heard your clients time and time again say that my pleasure is not my own. That my partner is the one giving me the orgasm. I only like, I only know what my partner likes to give me, but I don't know what I like. So it's good that we are able to have this practice with you and have, you know, your resources, your, bo your book to really tap in and just center people to be like, look, sit down with yourself. And what do you like about your body? What do you like about your pleasure? What pleasures you? I love that. I absolutely just, the one takeaway that I want people to understand from this episode, it's like your body is your own. It is your body. It doesn't matter who you're sharing it with. It is your body. It is your pleasure. You should be allowed to say how you like things. So to unlock that DMT in your body, you got to start liking yourself. Am I correct with this? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh -huh. Start at the very least by liking yourself and then maybe even knowing a little bit more about what brings you pleasure just for yourself. I mean, I, I, so many of us as women have been conditioned that we need to be sexual for our partners and that we're living within this performative paradigm and that it's the other person's pleasure that we need to focus on. And one of my mentors, Tammy Kent, she talks about hosting a party for nine-year-olds and the nine-year-old boys are kicking back and telling jokes and hanging out. And the nine-year-old girls are up with the hostesses and the hosts and saying, what can we do to be helpful? Mm. And she's like, go, go play. Right. <laughs> Your kids, <laughs> but we can see where the conditioning begins so young. Absolutely. Now, what would you say about the kink lifestyle? Because I feel that when you're dealing with kink and a lot of the lifestyle parties that I go to, it seems like everybody's more in tune with their pleasure. People are more open to talk about what they like, what they don't like, their yeses and their noes. So how would you say even with 
the rise of sex parties, the rise of kink lifestyles. It's not no longer, I mean, yes, it's still taboo. You know, people say swinger parties and it's like, oh, how, how could you just go and just swap partner? It's not like that all the time, y'all. Like people go to swing parties and they just have fun. People use it as a social thing. I use it as a social thing. I'm not always busting wide open for everybody at a sex party. You know, it just gives me pleasure to see my partners in pleasure and vice versa. But how would you say even like the help of kink lifestyle can help people, you know, unlock their sexual pleasure? And in fact, unlock the deepening effects of DMT to be released into the body. Well, that's a great question. And so I, I'm just coming back to one of my uh, teachers and the what she reminded me this week is you don't need to say yes, or you don't need to accept everything that's offered. And just coming back to that, because that is true. And that is a really potent message. If we could hold on to that, it's like, I don't need to accept everything that's offered. And I know that then I can go into lots of different environments, lots of different parties, lots of different social situations, and just explore and be curious and playful and kind and, you know, like uh, just checking it out because it's a different scene. Because when we do the same thing over and over again and we expect different results, that's a definition of insanity. And that's what, yeah, that's what Einstein said. And it's true. And I see that from my clients again and again. It's like they're having vanilla heterosexual sex and they think that's okay. And it is until it's not working for them anymore. And then we need novelty. Is that that is a huge drive for endorphins in our life is novelty. And we need that novelty, whether it's being offered by our partner or by other people. And that however we get it, we need to know that. We know we need to know that there's more expansion in how we're being in the world, particularly sexually. And I think because there is, again, a lot of shame, it prevents a lot of us from having these experiences. And what we really need to know is that they're okay. Mm. They're great. They're fun. (laughs) 1,000%. Would you even say toys can be that, that extra boost of enhancement to the DMT? Or would you say, you know, fingers? Some women are scared to finger themselves or scared to pull back the lips of the labia and just look themselves in the mirror and be like, right there. Right there is where I like to be licked. That's where I like to be penetrated and whatnot. So would you say even the use of toys could help unlock that next level to DMT being released into the body? Or is it more like a mental thing? Aha, those are great questions. And so technique isn't as important as it is uh, the set and the setting. And so... Yeah, uh yeah. And so that's kind of that that's a pointer that I'll I'll give you and that it is so much more about how the woman is showing up for herself. Um, And yeah, fingers are fine and toys are fine, but it is so much more about how she's showing up for herself. And also, I would say this invocation of the goddess within her so that she has this experience that she is all of who she is and so much more. And that's a powerful spiritual component. And that's a lot for one being to hold on to. And I think when we ingest DMT, we often have that experience. And then we forget, we come back to our mundane reality and that the opportunity through the the psychedelic cervical orgasm is to remember that, but begin to cultivate that on a regular basis. So it's kind of like meditation and in that it's a practice. It's not one and done. It's like, okay, I'm coming back to the cushion because I'm doing this again. I was just about to ask because, you know, when people talk about like their first high, you know, whether it be with weed, shrooms, whatnot, that they always say your first high is never going to be the secondary, the third. So would you say that a DMT release naturally from the body is almost like the same way? Because that's what I'm getting from, from that last comment where you were saying, you know, you just have to keep going back on the horse and just keep trying it over and over again. Yes, I mean, and I would say that the more that you come back to this practice or to this experience, the more that unfolds, the more that is 
revealed. Uh, and I, I mean, here I am. I like I'm a, a expert in the. I'm an expert in the field of sexuality, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. I'm a sexologist, a sex therapist. But sex is this wild, dangerous mystery that we, as simple humans, get to enact and step into. And we like to control and imagine that we know how it's going to go and really follow this linear progression. Like we we like to mechanize it. We like to imagine that we can then have influence or power over it. And the opportunity is to really surrender to really surrender to that mystery, surrender to that deep pleasure, and that when we actually can do more of that, that we experience more. And do we need to be safe? Yes, utmost and at the forefront. And when we do that first, then we can have this allowance and this receptivity because that's where the psychedelic orgasm is. It's in this true surrender. I'm going to end it on that because I... I doesn't get better than that. Oh my God. Tara, thank you. Thank you. Because again, I want people to take away from this and I think they're really going to unlock a certain self of them. It's that awareness. And I've been saying this time and time again, you know, and as we were talking off air, if you do not like yourself, if you cannot give yourself self-gratification, self-love, how are you going to be able to share that in partnered sex? How are you going to be unlocking your own orgasm if you can't even like the body, the vessel that is about to release that orgasm itself? So thank you. Thank you for that. Where can my earbuds get in touch with you? They can check me out on my website, rediscoveringmybody.com or my other website, which is taragaliano.com. And are you taking new clients uh, by chance? I am. And I just got licensed in Arizona. So I see clients in Colorado and in Arizona. And next month I will be licensed in California. So (gasps) there you go. And I I take coaching clients all over the world. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. I absolutely love it. Well, thank you so much for taking time to spend it with us today. Earbuds, you're in for another treat because I'm just going to keep giving you abundance of gifts and great chats. Next week, we will be talking with the cook matchmaker himself. Yes, from the Moan app. Tara, by the way, you got to get on the Moan app. I think people could really be um, could really be receptive of what you can offer. It's a sex positive space where educators and therapists like yourself can really just hold their own chats and give people just thorough lessons for free. It's a sex positive community and I'll have to send you the link to that. I think you would be perfect for it. But again, Cuck Matchmaker coming on next week with us. The month of April is just showering us with all this abundance of sexual positivity and wealth. And I can't wait to share with you. Remember that safe sex is the best hot sex. Till next week, you can reach me at Ms. Radio Sapphire on Instagram. Sapphire's Earplay also on Instagram. And the new site is still coming. MsRadioSapphire.com. And of course, Sapphire's Earplay on all streaming platforms. Good night, y'all. That was the show, all you sexy motherfuckers out there. Remember to follow at Ms. Radio Sapphire and Sapphire's Earplay on Instagram. Want some eargasms of the past and future? Make sure to follow on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and all streaming platforms.